Words FM podcast. This is Scott Kesterson, and tonight you're listening to a conversation with Bishop Wellington Boone. This war is real. Fighting is everything. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Tempt not the righteous man to draw his sword. Conviction, righteousness, ruthlessness. To understand tolerance, you have to understand the line of intolerance. War is the teacher, soldiers are the students. They become the bards of war. Good evening, Patriots, and today is Thursday, February 23rd in the year 2023. Tonight we have a very special interview with somebody I've met here in Charlotte, North Carolina, very esteemed man, very accomplished in his work in the body of Christ, Bishop Wellington Boone. I think you'll find this a very engaging and I would say motivating interview, and I would really encourage you to listen to it all the way to the end. There's a lot to discuss, and he has a deep, deep, deep passion for bridging the difference and the divide that has been so manifest in this current crazy world that we're in between black culture and white culture. And he's he has a direction, a passion, and a plan, and he is committed. So it's really a wonderful, wonderful time I had with him, and it's going to be, I think, a great interview for you tonight. Before we begin, make sure in all this crisis time that you're taking good care of your food supplies, especially in the light of everything that these people are trying to do to crush us and make us submit to their will. Patriots, do you feel like the world is being held together with duct tape and bailing wire? It sure seems like it. Every day, we're thrown new distractions by the fake news to pull us from the reality we're all about to face. Between the government trying to print their way out of debt, global military conflicts, and a looming food shortage, preparedness is no longer a choice. It's a necessity. In times like these, you can trust My Patriot Supply. Their three-month emergency food kit comes packed with tasty, and I mean tasty, meals with over 2,000 calories per day. And right now, you'll automatically get $200 in free survival gear with each kit you order. These products will save the day when crisis comes, and it's coming soon. Self-reliance is our only option. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and get $200 worth of free survival essentials with your three-month emergency food kit. Everything is in stock and ready to go, with free shipping too. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com before the next disaster strikes. MyPatriotSupply.com. Patriots, as I have said, food security is the foundation for personal sovereignty. Check it out today. Page, it's one of the problems we have right now that is so prevalent, it's in our face, is this constant pressure by those in the elite power structures to try to divide us and to divide us with deep roots in division that we can't overcome. That takes us into our histories. It takes us into the flawed structures that were in the past, often designed specifically to keep us enslaved by the acts of enslavement, the acts of division, the words, the hatred, and it's so prevalent today. And it's, it's heartbreaking to see a nation that should be a melding pot of one and, and is, is blessed by God to constantly see us fighting the wrong enemy. Bishop Wellington Boone is one of these that has committed himself to helping bridge that divide. And he's done it in many ways, and he's committed to do it until his end days. So it's been a very blessed opportunity to get to know him. And before we begin, make sure you're also taking good 
protection of your wealth in this crazy time that we're in. Everything is about breaking our control of things and having forcing us to submit to the will of those in power, the banksters, the elites. Patriots, despite the U.S. blowing through the $31.4 trillion debt ceiling in January, the leftist White House still refuses to reduce spending. While our national leadership has buried their heads in the sand when it comes to fiscal responsibility, it's all the more time for you to be proactive. Now would be a great time to diversify into gold with Birch Gold. In times of high uncertainty and instability, gold is king. It's dependable. Birch Gold makes it easy to convert an IRA or 401k into an IRA in precious metals. Here's what you need to do. Text BARDS to 989898 to claim your free info kit on gold and then talk to one of their precious metal specialists. Think about it. To dig our country out of this mountain of debt, every single taxpayer in America would have to write a check for $247,000. And it's only getting worse. Protect yourself with gold today by texting BARDS to 989898. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, thousands of happy customers, and countless five-star reviews, you can trust Birch Gold to protect your future. Text BARDS to 989898 today. Remember, that's BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, to 989898 today. Okay, Patriots, so without further ado... Let me introduce to you Bishop Wellington Boone. Well, Patriots, I am completely blessed today to have an amazing man who I've just recently met. And like God does so often, when we meet somebody he wants us to meet, it's like you just feel like you've known him your whole life. This is Bishop Wellington Boone. He's a powerful voice on so many levels in God. His, one of his books is My Journey with God, Arise and Shine. And another one of his books, of many, is Black Self-Genocide, What Black Lives Matter Won't Say. We're going to talk about a lot of things today, but Bishop Boone, welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you. Thank you. I'm blessed being here. And it's just awesome that, you know, we had a great time down there in the meeting with the fat boys. You know what I'm saying? These are the guys that move in shape, but... You know, but it was still fun meeting you. This is this is great. Well, that's awesome. I'm really honored to have you here. Tell us a little bit about yourself so we can everyone can kind of get to know you. Well, I'm ghetto and gutter by background. I was conceived out of wedlock. Uh, my mama, when she first came to get me, I was living with my granddaddy, and she was living with a man that wasn't my daddy. He was an alcoholic, and finally they separated, and I ended up being you know, just my mom and me. And she got converted, turned around. And I went from not going to church a day in my life to going to church like four or five days a week. And she says to me, if I can't beat the devil out of you, I'm going to cast the devil out of you, but the devil is coming out of you. That's what it was. (laughs) And so I went from, you know, not knowing God at all to a mama all in. And that, as I'm talking to you now, that resonates in my heart because at least I have her as a as a person of demarcation, of devotion toward God. And that was the signal for me. Now, I didn't follow it right away, but I had it as a, 
as a historical witness that my mama was really saved, and I'm thankful for it. And, um, of course, I didn't start this elementary school until I was eight. And by going to church every day, uh, or at least four or five days a week, they were having prayer meetings. And them mamas would come over there because I would take my homework to church. They didn't have these nurseries like we have today. And them, those people say, have you, I'm back there laying down. They'd come touch me. They said, hi, hey, son, how you doing? I said, how you doing, ma'am? He said, have you done your homework? I said, yes, ma'am. Are you saved? I said, yes, uh, yes, ma'am. They said, you have the Holy Ghost. I said, uh. They said, come on up to the altar then. These are dark and evil days. You got to get the Holy Ghost. And they put me on the altar and prayed over me. And it was there that I understood consecration. Not just saved from hell, but living a life devoted toward God. And so now here I was just starting school. And within a year's time, I developed what I would consider a photographic memory. I didn't know my ABCs at eight. And in those classes, the, I was old in like first grade. You know, they were, the young girls would kick me. The guys would laugh at me, call me stupid and everything. But they don't know that consecration on the altar with those mothers became concentration in the classroom. And while they thought I was stupid, I was but I was remembering everything I heard. And as a result of that, when they gave me testing, I would end up um, raising my hand first and they would say, but you, you don't know the answer to that. You don't, you don't, they didn't realize that my memory was, was, was crucial. And that's where I was changed. And through that, that transformation of my mama's dedication I was able to make it having been from the ghetto. Never met my dad for the first time until I was 35. And it was my mama's salvation. And then eventually she got married and we became a mil I became a military person. And, and by the 10th grade, I ended up in Germany with my stepfather. And that's where I developed a heart for the Germans. So 10th, 11th, and 12th grade, I, I finished. I was in Germany and I finished high school there. And so, as a result of that, um, you know, I I was changed from ghetto and gutter to someone that could speak Germany. You know, German. What am I talking about? It's it's Deutsch. No ambition, but it's hat Breyer and Deutschland gelebt. So I use I I used to know German, but I don't really know it anymore. But a little. So that's what happened to me. So. From that point on, eventually I really dedicated my life to God out of a, out of a visitation. I've been living it hard for five decades. You had an experience you were sharing today about what really transformed you. Someone spoke prophecy over you, correct? Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, and this was uh, when I was in a certain city, this lawyer, because I wanted to do a 501c3. And this attorney saw me, got my testimony, sort of like what you're getting now, but only in much more detail. And then he spoke over me potential. And I wasn't, what he saw was just getting going, and I wasn't anything in the natural that he could glory in. But when I heard his words, I never had the affirmation of a father. 
uh, and my stepfather wasn't saved, but this man believed in me. I didn't want his words to fall to the ground. He saw me not for where I was, but for what I could be in God. And he became like a spiritual father to me. As an attorney, he ended up getting helping me get my first 501c3. Uh, and he would call me and you know, up or come or ask me to come see him and ask me how I was doing. And this is really funny because I was married then. And he says, how you doing, Wellington? I said, fine, John. And then he said, um, how's your wife? I said, she's fine. Your children fine? I, he said, if I called her up and asked her the same thing, would she say this, ask her the same questions, would she say the same thing? I said, I don't know, John, call her. He would call her. <laughs> he called her up. She said, well, he's doing the ministry. He puts the ministry first. He puts us second. He spends all the money on ministry stuff. We hardly have enough to make it. And most of the time, he's not here for dinner because he's doing ministry. John would call me back up. And he says, Wellington, what happened? I said, I mean, I'm going for God hard. He says, your wife becomes the first fruits of your devotion. If you can't win your own family to God, how could you win the world? Wow. Man, I said, look, now who's this white dude talking to me like that? I didn't say that because I knew he believed in me. I didn't care about his race. What he told me were things that would help me become a man of God in my house. And then uh, in the proper order, I could take the affirmation of my work at home to the culture. And he was like my dad for decades. And I didn't even, we didn't even think of it like that. Probably a better term would probably be mentor, but he didn't use that term either. He just held me accountable. (laughs) (laughs) You have written an amazing book, which I'm very blessed because you provided a copy today and I'm just going to dig into this hard, but Mm -hmm. Black Self-Genocide, What Black Lives Matter Won't Say. And this opened up an amazing conversation you and I had today. And I think... If we can, I'd like to get into this quite a bit because mm-hmm. what you've provided here is something to, to me that just was so right in line with how I believe. It's you're talking about the uniqueness of black culture mm-hmm. and to not make this in a racial way, but the whitewashing that we're doing of the uniqueness of the black culture and how we're missing the opportunity to spark a revival in the black culture. Right. Can you talk about that? Yeah, and this is really important because uh, every person that's born in the earth is a choice made by God in the heavens. I'm an example of someone that was conceived out of wedlock, but yet I can honestly say that God has allowed me to be before millions in person and a countable number I led to Jesus. And here's the point. I came the wrong way but I am the right result. That's awesome. God ordained me to be alive, and he's the one that allowed me to be black. And there's a redemptive value in being black. So what I have to uh, see is what God meant by making me black and being, con- you know, allowing me to be conceived out of wedlock and then you know, raised in the ghetto and gutter, not having much money, not having resources, and how... Does he want me to look at that? So when I start digging in the word, I found two principles out that was major. 
And they are, one, not what you're going through, but how you go through it. Two, not what you have, but what you can handle. So I realized that my life was to be lived before God and that no man can define me. So, you know, like some brothers don't, they want to be honored. And I'm, I've been like, and this kind of offends some of them. I said, they can call me nigger, black, dumb, uh, colored, stupid, anything. Too late. I've already been discovered by God and Christ has come into my heart and I'm a new creation. So the creative work of God is what I discovered. And in that creative work, I have both a vision, why God made me, and then two, what I'm becoming, whom he did foreknow, then he also did predestinate. So no one can redefine me. I've already been defined by God. I'm a son of God, ordained by God to be here with an assignment, vision, and with the opportunity to grow in Christ-likeness. And that's how I live. That's fantastic. One of the things that we you've mentioned in this, and I'm going to take it a step further, mm-hmm. was this, I'm going to refer to it as your mentor or surrogate father that mm-hmm. stepped in. Oh, yeah. This is a crisis in our nation, and in particular in black communities, is the lack of the father. Mm-hmm. What is that looking like when we start talking about a revival in black America? What is, that's got to be a big issue there that we have to overcome. Would you agree? Oh, yeah. But, you know, when we think of revival, uh, we necessarily think of what happens on a meeting. And the, the word anyway is an is a Old Testament construct. I mean, David, look at his background. This is, this is one of the, writers in the Psalms, in Psalm 85, and I like, I like to refer them to this so they can go back to Scripture and look at this because in contemporary thinking, we think of revival as a meeting where there's something about the ethereal God, the invisible God, showing up in a way that seemingly warms our heart. And from the reality of God there, we then recognize, one, his love for us because we don't deserve his appearing, and two, we want to give ourselves to him in appreciation, and therefore we acknowledge our, our state, our condition. God, I'm so sorry. I've lived rebellious. I knew better. I, would you please forgive me of my sins? Yeah, that's the reality of God showing up and people get saved. That's, that's wonderful, but that's not the ultimate goal of God. And David cried out here because he's dealing with the whole culture of Israel because they were thickly rebellious. And he said in verse 5, Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Uh, Wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? Look how he was thinking, though. That was still huge thinking because he was thinking about uh, generational transfer, meaning that if if you're going to stay angry with us, will that carry over to the next, my children? And my children, children, because that's, he understood at least that. And then he makes this statement, will thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? And this is where we get the theme, revivify, re-give me life again. And, and you can question whether he's talking about his initial contact with the people of Israel, making them a people of God, the patriarchs and all, or was he talking about the life of the creative work in in Adam, because God said in Genesis 1, 26, I create you make in my image after my likeness. 
So there is the creative work. And, of course, then he gives him his assignment as the creator to creating man. And this is where I get my understanding of the, of the cause and purpose of God for my life. And I believe that every person go back to this original creative work in Adam. And he makes this statement in verse 28 of Genesis 1. And he says, and God blessed them. And God said unto them, be fruitful. Look at that. Number one, two, multiply. Three, replenish the earth. Three, four, subdue it. And then he says, and have dominion over. And then he gives them a responsibility over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So that's the creative work, the vision of God called for the creation of mankind. Here it is. God, the God of the heavens. Because in Genesis 1.1, he says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So when he, and then the ultimate of the creation is the creation of man. So he not only creates him by the order of his words. There's no word from God void of power. I make you to be like me. So man was, is ordained to be like God without trying. And so God gives him this assignment to be over the whole earth without him going through a training process. The competency of Adam was in the words spoken to him. He was like God by the, the decree of God. He didn't have to think to know. He didn't have to train. He would never have to have go, gone to college. He never would have been a mentor he, uh, to be mentored because he was made in the image of God. He had never done anything God declared him to do because he had the capability of God based on the spoken word of God and his being good ground to receive it. And so that's where I understand the creative call of God for every man. And I could go through each of these points, but if I may, let me go to the, you, you've been given the assignment of the whole earth, but I'm going to start it out in the garden. So in Genesis chapter two, and verse 15, and the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden, see that, of Eden, to dress it and to keep it. So this is amazing. And then he says, and the Lord God commanded the man, not suggested, commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day thou eatest thereof, Thou shalt surely die. So now this is an amazing thing. So he's been given the authority of the whole earth, but he started it out in the garden. How he handled the responsibility of the one area of restriction in the garden would determine whether he would be kicked out or promoted out. So, the issue of life itself is the issue of stewarding who God called you to be. And he gives man the, these three abilities. One, he makes him a spirit because in actuality, the man hasn't been, hadn't been formed until chapter 2 and verse 7. So God gives him this assignment, be fruitful, multiply, replenish, or subdue it before he was ever formed. So like, wait a minute now, who are you talking to? How could you talk to somebody you hadn't made into some kind of visible entity. Well, you can understand that by understanding rebirth, the redemptive work. 
If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Wait a minute. You mean Nicodemus asked in John 3, shall I go back into my mother's womb the second time? And Jesus says, I mean, you've been a teacher. You don't know this? <laughs> no, knucklehead. Oh, excuse me. That's my ghetto kind of slips out there occasionally. He says, no, God is a spirit. Being born again, you're born again as a spirit, the redemptive work. The creative work is followed by the redemptive work. Now, this is interesting that I mentioned the redemptive work because you so he says then, and after that, um, in verse 18 of Genesis 2, and the Lord God said unto man, it's not good that man should be alone, but I will make him a help suitable for him. And then he starts listing and out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field. And he brought him to Adam to see what he called him. So there are three things that Adam has in the creative order. Number one, he's a spirit being. He's made to live forever. So I want to say to everybody listening, you're going to live forever. The only issue is where. <laughs> okay, I'm just saying. <laughs> Two, you have the power of choice. And God gives you that ability. Three, you have the, the ability to have mental understanding. No other of God's creation has that ability. God created man. So you know those qualities God has. The difference is he's the ultimate sovereign, but he makes men to be like him. So you are a spirit, you're going to live forever. Two, you have the ability to understand and perceive at the highest level of the creation. And three, you have the power to choose. Now, this is amazing. So what I want to just say quickly is that Adam failed the responsibility of the garden. God gives him the assignment, makes a woman to fulfill also the destiny that he made to be fruitful. So you have not only biological birth, but he's talking about character. Adam's first fruitless action was one, the sin of omission. Meaning that when that devil came down, the serpent, talked to his woman, it says in first, I, 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 I went ahead of you, but in first Timothy chapter two and verse 13, it says, and Adam was not, was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. In other words, Adam's first sin was the sin of ignoring. He knew exactly what the serpent was up to. And he abdicated on his responsibility. He should have told that serpent to stand down. And he should have told his woman, don't listen to him and don't obey him. He didn't do either. Sin of omission. Then when he, she gave it to him, watch. So now you had an issue going on in Adam's family because she then talked to her husband, and she didn't have a God said. She had a devil said. We can say a serpent said. He listened to it. When God comes down and is offended by Adam's condition, he says in chapter 3 of Genesis, hey, am I working you too hard like that? Y'all listen to me. Am I working <laughs> you? I'm working you right now. But I love looking and tracing Genesis because it's the pathway to how we got to where we are now. It, it, it wasn't just, it's not circular reasoning. It's God in the creation creating man with the opportunity to be 
his son, his creation in the whole earth. Let me say it another way. One man and then his wife was chosen to be over a whole planet. Now that's, so you can say it this way. God, the God of heaven, Adam, the God of the earth, he was responsible. And when God comes down, he says to Adam in chapter 3, verse 17, and unto Adam he said, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife and did that which I commanded you not to do, say, thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake. Now this is really critical right here because he takes a word that didn't come from his wife, it came from the serpent who his wife received, disobeyed God, and then he allowed, knowing the consequence, knowing what was going on, his woman to, to he consummated what the woman was saying to him. He should have told the devil to shut up, told his woman to stand down because God gave him the responsibility for the garden. And it was huge what was going to happen in the earth by what he allowed in the garden. And that's what we see today. God is offended. Now, when the serpent was talking to the woman, nothing happened in heaven. God didn't move out of heaven, nothing. When the woman ate off the tree, still nothing happened. But when the man listened to the wife and ate off the tree, now God came down. Why? Because the future of what the earth was going to become was in the words that he spoke to the man. He was the responsible for the whole earth. It's important for a man to even understand that about him being in a family. That's why the woman takes on your name. And, I, and, and this is hugely important because it says in chapter 3 and verse 20, and Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was, I'm reading, I'm reading this, because she was the mother of all living. He called her Eve. But there was a correction in this. And because... Um, this is hugely important because God didn't agree with that. Because in Genesis chapter 5 and verse 2, he says, Male and female created he them, and God blessed them and called their name Adam. That's where we get the idea from when a, when a couple gets married. And the preacher says, you are now one together. You may now salute your bride. And then they now turn and face the audience. Ladies and gentlemen, I now present to you Mr. and Mrs. Wellington Boone. Mm -mm. Her identity is in the man. It's hugely important to understand that we've lost that sense of the creative process and order of the family. I could go to Colossians 3, I can go to Ephesians 5, and Paul talks about all of that structure that God has created, but there's a reason for it, and we get the opportunity to image and obedience to God in the entire earth, and that's what they had the opportunity to do, but the Adam family failed God, so everybody, so now watch, when he disobeyed and God came down and called for Adam, there's a lot that happened here. That, that we could go into. But here is one of the primary things that in their failure, 
he now had a God said from God the responsibility. And now by listening to the wife and consummating that by disobedience, he had a devil said. His acting upon her word, God says, you hearken to the voice of your wife, meaning you did you 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 ate off, you did what I told you not to do. So now he has dualism. What do you mean? He has God said and a devil said. Is that you, God? Is that my mind? It is. You ask the average parent, how's your kid doing? They say, well, he's doing great. He's finished college. He got a great job. He's doing very well. Nothing about his devotion toward God, his living a life that's influencing others to God. In other words, even the culture itself acknowledged the natural accomplishments rather than the spiritual transformation. While the failure of Adam and mankind is where they are in God, not where they are in the culture. Ultimate accountability is to God alone. The failure began with Adam. And so I, I was going to read this last verse here, and then uh, that's it. I'll be done with this part of it. But behold, in Malachi 4, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and terrible day of the Lord, dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to the fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Derek Prince is famous for saying, if there would have been no New Testament, the Old Testament would have ended in the word curse. The direct correlation is renegade fathers, meaning a father was not responsible to God in his household and therefore, not only allows a curse to come in, but it becomes generational. Why? Not only is he cursed, but now his children are cursed. Are cursed, And that's what you we have to understand, that repopulation is supposed to be from blessed, from a blessed family. How a man is with his wife. So I used to do these Promise Keepers events. And one of them I did in Chicago was 70,000 men. And the coach said that he asked his wife from one to ten, how would, how would uh, she evaluate him as a husband and as a, as a father? And she said, well, I would say you're about a seven. So, oh. And he felt like I need to get myself together so that I'm representing God and my wife. So that, that gripped me. I said, well, I wonder what my wife thinks I am in terms of my relationship with her in God. So I went there and I asked her, I said, okay, babe, oh, here it is. Uh, what would you, how would you, I told her the story, and how would you rank me? She says, mm, let me think about it. She said, well, I would rank you an 11. Uh, man, I started crying. I'm, I'm getting, I get broken up right now just, just talking with you about it. Because what it meant to me is how she perceived my devotion toward God in relation to how it was working toward her. She, and I said, well, you know, I got to talk about this tomorrow. Would you, would you like? So if you put in, the listeners put in Promise Keepers slash Wellington Boone and put Chicago in, you can hear her give this testimony. Before those 70,000 men, she said to them, I rate my husband an eleven. And the point was, though, I never saw the example 
other than in scripture and what I just went through with these. Because I knew that my present stewardship in my house would represent my credibility for what I would do outside of it. And I, in my family line, my dad conceived out of wedlock. I don't know anybody in my whole family line that stayed married. It's my wife's family line. And so when I saw what marriage was biblically and what it was to be ultimately, that's what got me. And I wanted, I wanted that. And so, but I got it from all of this that I just went through over this, this kind of everlasting gospel talk. But that's where I got it from. No, it's beautiful. Thank this you. is this is just a beautiful framing of the whole thing. Thank you. It leads in well, I think, to what we we were talking about was we were talking about the uh, revivals that are happening, and that was you kind of highlighted some of the things in your book, Black Self Genocide. Yes. And what you what I was so taken by was that you took that back to 1876, mm-hmm. and you just talked about how there is a very unique problem that we're not recognizing. And I think that's so important because it's it's being distorted. We're, we're, you're hearing this talk about reparations and slavery, mm-hmm. but that's not getting us into the revival of Christ in the heart. Yeah, can you talk to that? Yes, it's just a, it's just amazing to me to look back at history, and I, I hear the discussion about revisionist history, and 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 I hear the talk about these projects. You know, Black Lives Matter. I mean, I just explained it. Based on the scripture, of course, the life matter because God ordained every living person. Read John 1, and we'll, you'll see that Jesus brought us all into this world. So our value goes all the way to God. Nobody can devalue what God's done, and it holds up in the portals of the eternal realm. And that's where you got to live your life from. So and, and this slavery, so now... You know, when you think about slavery in terms of America, you still got to go back further. Look, look, the, the Arabs, the Portuguese, the Dutch, the English, the Americans. How many were lost? I mean, the discussion about the, the Holocaust and the Jews, there were more lost in the Middle Passage. Blacks coming from Africa as slaves in those slave ships, meaning died at sea, than what died in all the Holocaust there for the Jews under Hitler. Let's let's face it. There's a correlation between the disenfranchisement of the culture of the Jews and the disenfranchisement of blacks here. And then kept in slavery for several hundred years. They tried to enslave the Native Americans, couldn't do it. They'd kill themselves rather than become slaves. Whites were enslaved at first, originally, and that, that didn't work. So eventually blacks became slaves. They were hard workers. They... They did submit, and uh, they were oppressed. They Sure, all that happened. But you still got to say what God allowed isn't necessarily what he ordained. So therefore, I want to find out from God what's the redemptive value of slavery. And here is the great missing link. Not, in 1 Corinthians, not many wise are called, not many noble are called. But God has called the base things of the world to confound the wise, yea, the things which are not, meaning nothing, to bring to nothing the things that are. It's from 
being made to be slaves, which were servants. Jesus said, Make him, let him that be greatest amongst you, let him be your servant. There's a redemptive value to blacks being made to be saved, slaves, but thinking of being faithful to God in slavery is worth way more than slavery itself. So when you go back to Scripture and you start looking at it, and so I, could, I can say, read the book of Philemon. And here you have Philemon and Onesimus. And Onesimus was in prison with, there with Paul. Paul discovers him there. And Philemon, rich, used him as a slave. And potentially he stole from Philemon, Onesimus did. But his name means profitable. The word Onesimus. Now, here he was a slave, but his name meant profitable. Philemon uses him for the benefit of his own profit. As a rich person, Paul sees him for his potential in God. He disciples him there in prison. And then when he gets free, sends him back (laughs) to Philemon and said to him, Now, okay, now I want you not longer to serve him as a slave, but greater than a slave. Read the book of Philemon. It's amazing. And then he writes a letter to Philemon and says, okay, if he has stolen from you, charge it to my account. But treat him no longer as a slave, but treat him as you would treat him myself. This is Ecclesiastes 4. Both the the oppressed and the oppressor had no comforter. Because what's the point? They're sitting across from one another. And the point is their silverware is tied to their hand. And the only way they're going to be able to eat because they can't bend their elbow to put food in their own mouth is they have to reconcile and feed each other. Until whites understand why did God let them be born rich? Why do they have education? Why do they have freedom? Why do they have military strength? And and why do they have wealth? Well, it's in the Bible. Deuteronomy 8.18 says, God gives you power to get wealth to establish his covenant. You're not to let money have you. You're to have money, but it has redemptive value. One person said that when you have money and do not spend it for the cause of Christ, it has no redemptive value and perishes while you spend it. That's the great challenge of the wealthy today, not just the poor in terms of the economic poor, but using that money for the cause of Christ, for the redemption of mankind, the best way to spend money. But let's just go back just for a minute to this, this slavery. So here we, we get to the Civil War. Before the Civil War, there was the 18, look, the 1857 Great Awakening led by Jeremiah Lanfear, the prayer meetings. It was not just a revival, it was an awakening. It wasn't like what we are talking about now in Asbury and the historical revival in 1971 when they had another great revival and all that. And we're talking about what happens in a meeting. God is, puts the great value in what happens in your heart. He doesn't, he doesn't emphasize the importance of singing songs or even giving testimonies or even repenting. He wants to see what happens in the lifestyle of those people who have met God in a real way. Because why? Because what you're going through 
is temporary anyway. Your whole life is temporary. But what you become is permanent. Let me make this statement. What you become is more important than what you're going through. This is where blacks missed it. So and this is where American whites missed it. That great awakening, the great sin of America was men stealing. God gave them opportunity in that awakening. All those people come into Jesus. The impact of that nationwide, they never saw the need and the revelation to release the slaves and to empower them to become as the um, the the wealthy, the educated, the military strong, to say the power of the gospel is the ability to lift. Jesus, not from above us, carried us to the Father, but from us under us. He was the bridge. And he went down into hell, you know, emptied the graves of just men made perfect. And then from up under us, carried the sins of the world on his shoulders, took us from a position of humility to the Father. Blacks don't know that if they understand how to embrace humility, that they won't worry about being humiliated because they stay true to the standards of God. And him that be greatest among you, let him be your servants. So, so they went through several hundred years of slavery. And then Lincoln, the great endeared president, gets us free with the Emancipation Proclamation. I have in my document that the jubilee, that that the blacks in having this uh, New Year's celebration, that came from the jubilee. That came from waiting on Lincoln at midnight to declare the blacks free from slavery. That's why blacks celebrate more than whites New Year's Eve. They don't do reveling. They do worshiping. That's what it comes from. So then they get free. The blacks that became legislators in the South never used their position to get whites back. They used their positions to model out the standards that they were hoping whites would have. All you have to do is do the research and look at who these gentlemen were, mostly from the deep South, too. Mississippi, you understand, Alabama, these guys. But when that 1877 compromise happened, when Rutherford B. Hayes wanted to win the vote of the presidency, he wanted the electoral vote of three states, and you, I think you made, you told me today four, but they were Louisiana, uh, uh, South Carolina, and Georgia. Did I say it right? No, Florida, Florida. And so, so what happened? In that compromise, those blacks that made those gains were literally thrown out of office because what the North did is remove those troops. When they removed those troops, you can see that America had not changed. Here is an important part. The 1857 Great Awakening could have been the release of slavery and America becoming the standard. We talk about the Declaration. We talk about the, the Constitution and the longstanding effect of that. But we didn't truly model that out in terms of acculturation. So what happened? We should have done it by Christ's bloodshed, the Great Awakening. So we had a war. How many died in the Civil War? 600,000 a tenth of the population of the nation. What we didn't do by Christ's bloodshed, we did do by our own bloodshed. Where we didn't give God our best a tithe, the devil took a tithe. 
The difference is our blood wasn't pure enough to get the heart change. The 1877 compromise, look what happened. Convict leasing happened afterward. The, 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 what happened is that the blacks became vagrants. They called, he should have got a job. He couldn't get a job in the South. Nobody would hire them. They threw him in jail. The sheriffs made money off of him. Segregation, discrimination. Look, and then a Voting Rights Act and a Civil Rights Act as late as 1964 and 65. What does that say? America released the slaves, but they never had a heart change. What's the need is to let God change our heart so we can become his model, not just for time, but for eternity. We still have the opportunity to model out beyond the people that want to come here. Why? Every time it's talked about, uh, Scott, it's talked about in terms of the opportunity, the freedom, the opportunity for achievement. Nonsense. It's the gospel and the standard that we live that models out thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. We get the opportunity to demonstrate the Lord's prayer and walk out of this world in character into the next world. We get the new body which Jesus is making for us, but we keep our character. Nobody will be positioned based on gifting. Gifting says nothing about the ones with the gift. It says something about the one that gave it. But character says something about us. Our position in the future is going to be based on the transformation that we allow God to bring in our lives. Walking out of this world into the next world, saying, not just, look a here, look a here, saying, exactly. This matches what God has allowed me to become and I'm clothed in this environment. And on the basis of that, in my father's house are many mansions. What's he talking about? Dwelling places. What's he talking about? Positions. And I could talk about that, our responsibility in the next world. But this is what it is. So the curse on black America is they don't know their redemptive call. And the fathers are missing most in black families. And now both America, like Europe, the Nordic countries, whites and blacks are in depopulation. It has accelerated. You know, Charles Darwin, his book, Origin of Species, the subtitle, Preservation of Favorite Races in the Struggle for Life, Malthus, Francis Galton, the cousin of his, they were eugenicists. And, and so was Margaret Singer is the one that carried out this eugenic idea through Planned Parenthood. This is not a political issue. This is the issue of the de devaluation of life and the murder rate of blacks against itself. It's black self-genocide. What are you dealing with? They don't know who they are and what God's ordained them to be. They don't know the meaning of life. You can't make a life come. You have no authority to take it. David said, before I was formed in my mother's womb, I knew you. Think of how many babies God has ordained to be amazing. And we didn't see the value of the life that we carried. And so therefore, we still as a people need to be carried. There should have been by now, since Azusa Street, revivals, not just church growth, the compromise of leadership. And I heard some, some say 
that I, you don't call out, I don't call out names. I'm not trying to put down churches. I'm not trying to put down men. Well, the Bible did it. Jesus did it, called them out. Pharisees, Christ, to their faces. Paul called them out. Demas, Alexander, Copper, Smith, all of them. He didn't even, he shot, he told Mark, you can't even travel with me right now. Because why? You're a coward. You, you're not the level. And this is what's happening now in the black community. There are numbers of black leaders who are not holding the standard of godliness. I'm not talking about now just the ideal. I'm talking about the standard. You, you cannot say you're of God and believe in choice. You got to say, oh, wait a minute. If God allowed conception to have it happen, I'm going to have that baby. You can't believe in that a family is not a man and a woman. You got to say what the Bible says. He says, for man to be with, with womankind as with mankind, for man to be with womankind with mankind as with womankind, it's an abomination, Leviticus 18. So we got to stand on those standards because they're godly. They're the Bible. So I'm not going to stand with race over the Bible. No. And here's the point. Whoever is going to judge me ultimately is who I got to be submitted to presently. And my submission is to God only. And God's calling the black community and the white community to unify. And it's time right now for it to happen. Revival is not a meeting. Revival is a life of God being ignited in our hearts at the level God's ordained it right now. See, so this is huge. Uh, this is a lot for your, your listening audience, but I told you the truth, and I love doing it, and I just believe that you're a good ground to hear this kind of history. And thank you, Scott, for being patient with me while I just just went through both the biblical. Notice, though, I did want to be biblical, and I also wanted to be historical, so there's a balance. And in my book, Black Self-Genocide, What Black Lives Matter Won't Say, and some ask me, what won't they say? Everything that's in that book. What I love about your arc on this story, and this is what we were talking about at our break, mm -hmm. is that you're mapping out two cultures that are both cursed by the same thing. They each are on opposite ends from a perspective point, and yet God is always intended for us to be together in the body of Christ. Come on. That is just, that's so fantastic. How do we get there? I think that's the, because you brought up something that's really profound, because we were talking about Osbury. And the point you were pointing out is where everybody's looking at Osbury, and yet the darkness is darkest in black culture, and that's where the revival can be the greatest, because where it's darkest, the light is shines the brightest. Come on. I'm sorry I had to shout you down. Oh, no, go. I'm, yes. I'm ready to hear it. It's, this is hugely important yes. because we uh, traverse land and sea, uh, and in terms of our government to deal with terror, terrorists. And and in the inner cities, the Bloods and the Cribs, like you, you even mentioned those guys, they're the ones, drugs and killing each other in the inner cities. And the truth of the matter is, they're just waiting for us to help redefine their call from God. They're waiting for somebody to prophesy their future. Look, God... God told Israel, you're a holy nation, you're a royal priesthood. Um, before they were changed, his words spoke into them their potential. 
And I would say, instead of saying to those black people, you guys need to get a job, you need to stop having babies, you need to get off those drugs. And I agree they need all of that. But how about prophesying the new revival that's going to happen down in the inner cities? Oh, those people are good ground to want to hear a word. Those people are ready to be fathered. Those people are ready to find their destiny in God. That God wants to use them to be amazing on a global scale. And uh, Africa and other countries are waiting for them to come because of their plight. Their history is redemptive. And I, I go to some of these nations like, you know, I said Germany and other places, England. And, um, John Dawson is down there in that meeting. You know, John Dawson and I used to do reconciliation meetings. He's now the... He's one of the presidents now. I think they have like a three-level leadership in, in um, YWAM, now Youth with a Mission. But Dawson and I used to go from city to city and do reconciliation things. And then, of course, he was a part of YWAM, and he became more global in doing that. But I still know his heart. Loves to see people find Jesus and then unify together for the cause of Christ. And I know there's a potential, the glorious church that he's going to return for. He already said what it's going to be has not spot nor wrinkle. There's not going to be a spot of racism in the church that God's going to send the son after. And then, but this is what scares me also. Now we're talking about revival and the masses that come over there to Asbury, but God never did anything great through masses. Always did it through a remnant. And he told Elijah, I said, I've, I've left over here a remnant according to the measure of grace. In every case, you look at all the way through the Bible, it's always was a remnant delivered to the children of Israel. They were rebels. They came under judgment, almost a cyclical judgment. They remnant somebody like Moses or somebody like Elijah or somebody would would or somebody like um, under bondage Daniel would give them the right premises, help them get restored or Joseph or someone, and then they get transitioned, transformed, and then after a few decades they do exactly what God told them not to do. They get judged against, slammed by God. I would say that there's still the missing discussion of judgment on America. And that's not talked about. The difference between, say, the Old Testament prophets and today, we say the Old Testament prophets foretell. The New Testament prophets foretell. Uh-uh, no. We got to call out sin for what it is. We got to deal with the behavior. So we allowed a lot of stuff to go on in our country that as the Church of Jesus Christ I mean, look, Father Nash prayed for Finney, right? He'd go out in advance, and when Philadelphia was the Harlem of the 1800s, and they asked for Charles Finney to come to Philadelphia and labor. But before Finney got there, Father Nash, who was a former pastor, intercessor, he would go there weeks in advance and go travail on the floors and cry out to God and, and change atmospherically the heart of those people, and Finney Labor was successful. Lyman Beecher did not like the new measures. He's Harriet Beecher Stowe's daddy who wrote Uncle Tom's Cabin. He didn't like this Finney stuff, these new measures, the morning bench. He says to Finney, if you come to up here in New England, I'll meet you at the state lines and fight you all the way back. That's how they were serious about the dignity of, the, of preaching. When Finney shook Philadelphia, he said, uh-oh, this is the handiwork of God. Would you please come up and labor with us? And Finney ended up going to New England, and guess who was working the morning bench? Lyman Beecher. 
He changed his attitude. What we're dealing with now is the appearing of God and a standard without compromise that the world can see. They're waiting for it. They don't want us to be nice to them. They want us to be truthful to them. And Jesus was that way with Pharisees, scribes, Sadducees. Paul was that way. They all died martyrs. So what? To be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. You got to cultivate that. You're going to be afraid to die unless the vitality of our devotion to God becomes real. There's no way we're going to go whether we can, where we can get hurt, where we can be criticized, where we can be rejected. Jesus said, uh-uh, I went through all of that. If you're going to follow me in my resurrection, you're going to have to follow me in my suffering. So the white community, yeah, the blacks are going to reject you at first. They may even do nonsense to you. But let me tell you something. We let all that stuff happen the last two, and three, last two to three years. I'm dating this talk, though. And let them rob stores. We got video footage of these black folks, the ghetto, go into couture stores. We let gay people become mayors and all these things happen. The church let it happen. There was no outright repudiation of it. We let the language change in terms of being neutral pronouns. We let trance, trance? The Bible says the ungodly are not so. That doesn't exist in the economy of God. No term like that exists. We have to stand for what God stands for. We said, well, we got to love everybody. You think Jesus, as strong as he was, he says, but it's impossible that offenses would not come. Look, he says, you're white as sepulchers. Look, the Pharisees, scribes, Sadducees, and elders, they said, wait a minute, you offend me. He says, you clean the outside of the cup and leave the inside unclean. I mean, he didn't let up on them. If we don't know how to offend, to some degree, we're not transformed. We're not trying to be offensive. We're just telling the truth, and we don't compromise on that. We can't make anybody do anything, but they got to have the strength of the word to become strong for God. And that's, that's why, you know, from where I am, it's what it is. And I spoke in over 50 stadium events for promise keepers. I was screaming and fussing. I'll tell you this one last story. So I had this security guy, because I was talking about golf. And uh, he was with me. And so when the meeting was over, I talked about, I'd love to go to the Masters. I live in Georgia right now. And um, I said, I know, but God owns that dirt. You know, you don't talk like unfavorably about Augusta because that is the tournament that you'd want to go to. So at the end of the time, I was, people wanted to come up and shake my hand. So I'm shaking hands, like I call it shaking hands, kissing babies, petting puppies. But he said, at the end of it, this, this policeman said, uh, you the real thing, ain't you? I said, I beg your pardon? He says, I ain't never seen the real thing before. I said, oh, well, glory to God. And I'm wondering where he was going with this. He says, well, my name, and then he tells him his name, I'm the sheriff of Burke County the adjacent county where Augusta National is. I said, well, glory to God. Glad to meet you. It's wonderful. And my brother, my brother is over the GBI for the state of Georgia. I said, that's great. Got a great family. That's wonderful. My cousin Faye is over tickets for the Masters Tournament in Augusta. I said, wait a minute. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all keep silent before him. I said, we're going somewhere with this. Where are we going with this? 
He said, well, my brother, I would love to give you tickets to the Masters. My brother, since you live in Atlanta, will pick you up at a certain location and proceed to bring you to Augusta, where we will get in my sheriff's car and go to Augusta National Tournament. I said, glory to God, we got something here. So I get there, right? We go in and we walk in, okay? I said, where can we go? He says, anywhere you like, you got the run of the house. I said, what, you mean anywhere? I said, I knew that was a message. When you the real thing, God will give you the run of the house. <laughs> That's just awesome. We've been friends ever since. That's right. And he's retired now. And so that's what I'm calling both white America and black America. What? To be the real thing. When we are, God will give us the access we need to bring the transformation he wants. The last revival in the earth is going to be a transformational revival. It's not just going to be a, a revival of meetings. It's going to be a revival where the people get changed and they live in the change that happens to them. And they're going to be so awesome, it's going to be called glory. And the Father is going to say, go get them. Because now they're suitable to inhabit eternity. Those are awesome words. That's a great story. It really Thank is. You. Thank you. I'm going to tell you, this has been a, I love doing interviews, but this is one of, right up there with one of my favorite. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, and I look forward to doing more, if you will, down the way. Thank I, you, I'd Scott. Like to, I'd like to, I just want you to share one last thing and then, and then, um, and then I'm, we're going to close with a prayer, but you're eight hours. This is what caught me. Mm -hmm. We were talking, and you talked about how you work with churches. Yes. And you you require eight hours. Yes. Talk about that. because I, well, I There's just a radical guy that asked me to come down to Miami. His name is Joaquin Molina. He's from Cuba. He's a lawyer, and he's a radical kind of guy, too, but just kind of a little more, like, sensible about it than I am, you know. So he served under Janet Reno as um, as an attorney there in Miami. And then he did it because his daddy required him. So his brother is a, um, a psychiatrist. His other brother is a dentist. And this is the dad required. His dad had five disciplines as a medical doctor. They came over from Cuba. So he, so he did it for 10 years as an attorney. And he said, Dad, I'm giving this degree back to you. He said, I did this for you. I got to do the rest of my life for God. So he planted a church and became a pastor. So he heard me in Promise Keepers, asked me to come to say, now look, he's, 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 I didn't get offended. He says, you're getting old now, and we don't want you to take to the ground, the grave, what God's given you. Would you come to our church for a year and teach us what God's taught you? And so I, I pray about it, you know, like Mark Rutland did down there in Orlando. I said, I'll just pray about it. I, you know what? I said, yes. I came down there. They were open. So the way it worked out, I would do like two services on Sunday. I'd do a men's meeting on Monday nights. And all of them were packed. And then I'd do Wednesday. 
first week of every. My wife gets sick, laid out for a solid year. But while this was going on, I said, look, it's too broken up. I need like eight hours with you. Like, you know, come on. And then he didn't say anything. And then two weeks later, he says, I got it. I said, got what? The eighth month on the eighth day for eight hours. He rented Trump Doral in, in, in that facility. And it cost like 25K for me to do my eight hours. I said, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all keep silent before him. So I did. I did it for eight hours. They're hungry. And they just didn't listen. They listened to put into practice. So people came from, from other states to be a part of it. And then afterward, he said, you need to do that again. You know, you should do it in another city. So I did another one in another city, Virginia Beach. And then I did another in several cities. So I realized I needed that length of time. Eight is a number for new beginnings. It's a number for rebirth, right? And, and so I found I can't, like, I'm talking to you, like, look how long this has taken. But I'm just getting started, right? There's whole categories of stuff. I would love to talk with your audience about. But I need those eight hours. So I started having these meetings, eight hours. So I didn't, I haven't, since my, I've only maybe, let's see, maybe one, maybe two churches since my wife died, March the 12th. Eight hours. So now this is what I'm looking for. Church. I'm not going where they don't want it. I, I, I'm living 50 years. I don't want to. I don't want to do an acrostic. I can do the principles of prayer, the process of prayer, the priority of prayer. I could do these. Not doing that. I'm going to outpour, and then I'm going to. Uh, I'm going to lay hands, so that people are empowered to have an effect on one what God's given them. And if they don't know what God's given, I'm going to prophesy over them. I mean, that sounds like radical. I am. I'm like that. So that's what I did. So in that meeting, I laid hands on 300 people to be in the ministry, able ministers of the new covenant. In the next place, I did lay hands on hundreds of people to be in. After I finished teaching them, I prayed for sicknesses and everything else. But then I laid hands on them to have a sense of a divine call on their lives. There are too many people now that don't have that sense that I'm called by God and I'm sent to have an effect. So that's what I do in those eight hours. And that's where it is. Those that want it. So now in America, if they want it, I do it. They don't want it. I'm already set. I mean, I got, I'm going to, I go overseas. I'm trying to get to Adeboye over there in Nigeria right now. You know, he, when I was over in Germany, they, they asked me to come. And I said, no, I'm over in Germany right now. I can't come. Adeboye, you got a million members. He's now got like three million. You know, it's like whatever. He has these prayer meetings with three million in attendance. His convocation that he has has six million. And so these Nigerians, they'll they'll stay with me. I can do eight hours. I can do like all night prayer. I can do shut-ins. That's what I want. Because that's what was in the Bible. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit was done on the wings of a three, a ten-day shut-in. They shut in. They couldn't go no anywhere. You had to wait. They didn't know when the power was going. I wanted, I do those. I've done it. And I'll tell you how I got with, people ask me, how did you get with Promise Keepers? How? Because there was, you can do the research, but there was nobody speaking in Promise Keepers that wasn't already national. But what had happened is God had led me for nine straight years to go away for 40 days and pray and fast. And I had already in the heavenlies broken the racial divide. And I knew that I wouldn't be impressed by big. 
Because the God in America that has to be destroyed is a God called big. We, everything, if it's big, it must be God. Nonsense. But that's what we think. So you know what? So Coach McCartney, they heard me do an interview with Sheila Walsh on the 700 Club. Somebody heard me from Dr. Dobson's office. Coach McCartney, who's founded Promise Keepers, was looking for somebody that could talk about race without being mad at white people. And they said they saw this guy, Wellington Boone. Dobson called me up. I was on his program. Coach McCartney was there with me. We hit it. Boom. That was it. That's how I got in Promise Keepers. But I had already dealt with the racial divide in the heavenlies in prayer. So that's why when I hear some of this nonsense going on, uh, Black Lives Matter, Critical Matters, Critical Race Theory, 1619 Project, these are people that haven't found God in a real way. No man can affirm you. God has to affirm it. And this is what happens. That's what happened to me. So that's why I end up all over. I don't, I don't care what race they are. I don't care what country. So I got sons in, in Muslim countries, African countries, Europe, all, all over. Don't, I don't care. Why? Because the great need is the vitality of a union with God in a way that it becomes their reality, not just their religion. And that's what I'm putting out right now. So, I mean, I'm talking to your audience. I'm proselytizing them. But if you want it and you're not soft and you can take eight hours, okay, go, they can go through you or whatever. I'm, I'm available right now. Now, I'll tell you this. My wife did end up passing. So I don't have any excuse now. I can't say now, yeah, I got a house, got a, I got all that. Right? You can't be in the ministry this old, this long, not have a whatever. You got stuff. That stuff don't have me, though. I'll leave that house for months, years. I get a house sitter or whatever to go where there's hunger. See? So God bless you, and uh, I appreciate, though, uh, being on here, Scott, with you. It's been a blessing for me. Well, I'm going to make a commitment right now because <clears throat> we're going to do this this year. Thank you. We're going to pull together a bards group but I, I want to challenge it to be black and white because we're going to bring people from your side, bring Bards Nation. Come on, bro. And, and I, I want to get yeah, this going. I want I want to do a shut-in. I want to do a shut-in. I'm getting excited. This would be, like, awesome. This, we you know, need it. Now you're in, I mean, this is like hog's heaven for me. Yeah, okay, you understand good. what I'm saying? Yeah. This is like whatever, where it's not just, it's so organized that God can't even get in it. There needs to be an openness. Yes. And I can make a case in the Bible for openness. In the New Testament, everywhere it was open. We need to do this. We need to do this as an example for the nation. Okay. We've got so much of this garbage of split and hate right now. It's driving me nuts. Yeah, and, and and it's where I just share your passion so Thank much. You. Thank you, bro. And I just, I'm going to make the commitment now. You and I will figure it out. Okay. And we, okay. we're going to make it happen. We'll make it happen. So Bards, what's the Bards? Okay, Bards is bards are storytellers. This is where it came. God put this on my heart long ago. Bards is an old class of poet under the Norse period. Go ahead. And they were a specific class that were funded by the people through donations that told the stories of people and war. That's blessed, bro. That's blessed. So then the it started out originally, the one movie I did, which is a film I did, I'll get you a copy. Yes. Is Bards of War. So God literally said, you're going to tell, because it's a story of soldiers. So he's like, you're telling the story of the storytellers of war. Okay. And then wow. later it was transformed to Bards FM because it was put on my heart. It's like, we're not always going to be in war, but we need a field manual to lead people to war. Ah, glory so to God. FM. 
So there you go. Glory to God. It's wonderful. Oh, it's going to be great. Um, I'm, I'm excited. I think this you. is just awesome because we're already talking about doing Bart's Fest this year. Yeah. And this is going to be just a special event and we'll figure it all out. But I'm all in this. I love what you're talking Thank about. You. We haven't done it. I mean, I know what you did in Promise Keepers. It was amazing. But we need to do a focused event where yes. we can set an example and point to it and say, this is how we do it. Yes. This is where we take difference. See, when we were doing, in, when in um, 2016, I set up a, a PAC and I support, it wasn't a Trump PAC, but we were supporting President Trump. Yes. But this is what we focused on. We focused on the disenfranchised. Yes. So we got a chance to sit with Bloods and Crips. We got a chance to sit with with militia guys. Come on. And we, we, just, we just talked about, look, we're, we're, he's the best choice. I wasn't, he's the best choice, yes, but you yes. got to vote. And you got, and what we had, a, we had Bloods and Crips reaching out to us going, I don't want to keep doing this. I want to have a future for my children. I know this can work. And you have, the framework, the energy, you've done Ooh. it. I mean, this is exciting. We can Come take on. the extremes and bring it together to show mm-hmm. how much we can meld mm-hmm. this pot together yes, yes. and truly show that perfect quilt of America. That's good stuff. And I, I'm excited about it. So let's let's just agree we're going to make good. it happen. I agree with you. And I want to be a father to some of them. Absolutely. Some of them, it's not just preaching to them. I want to be a father to you. Look, I can, I can show you how to navigate life, not only biblically, but in life. Yes. I'm old enough that I can show you how to navigate. <laughs> you don't have to do what you do that way. Right. And that was the former president that was, you know, could have showed them. Instead of being celebrated as being the first black president, right. he could have shown those people how to navigate life on a global scale. Yep. There's no doubt about it. And it wouldn't have to be through debauchery. Correct. Well, Bishop, we always close with a prayer, and I would be greatly blessed today if you would thank lead you. that prayer. Thank you, Father. Thank you so much. It's been like awesome just being with this man of God for what you've allowed him to do in reaching people all over the world. I'm thankful that we have met today and that we have this opportunity to be together. Consummate it with some more uh, things that you would lead us to do that's going to have effect an effect on the whole world. Take this and multiply it. But more than ever, let the called out ones now reach out to him and say, I'm going to find my destiny. Let them be the ones that say, I know that God has a plan for me. Re- reach out in the name of the Lord. Write him. Uh, contact him. Be radical about it and say, I'm ready to be sent to the whole world. And if I have to gather to be laid hands laid on me, greased with oil or whatever, or just be empowered in some way, reach out to him in the name of the Lord. And I thank God for the open hearts to this message and for this man of God who allowed me to be able to say some of the things that I've been able to say. Thank you for his openness. I bless him. I bless his ministry. And I bless the people who are a part of it. To God be the glory. In Jesus' name, I cancel every assignment of the devil against them. And may the Holy Ghost work powerfully and mightily in the listeners now. May you arise and shine. May God get the glory. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. 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 Bishop, thank you so much. Thank you, brother. This This has been wonderful. What a blessed meeting. Thank you. Thank you. Don't worry about, I don't worry about eating or nothing like that. Don't worry about it. (laughs) 
This is okay. You starved the old man to death. But no, it's it's been wonderful being here. This is this is really blessed though. Well, Patriots, that was Bishop Wellington Boone. Real honor and privilege to have him on the show and just a great connection I've made out here in Charlotte, North Carolina. Amazing man, an amazing story, and just a real inspiration in the word and walking in the body of Christ. So keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God always wins. But we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. We are at war. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Subdue the enemy. Mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tonight for Fishers of Men. Until then or until the next time, God bless and out for now. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. Every thoughtful citizen who despairs of war and wishes to bring peace should begin by looking inward, by examining his own attitude towards the possibilities of peace. Too many of us think it is impossible. Too many think it is unreal. But that is a dangerous, defeatist belief. It leads to the conclusion that war is inevitable that mankind is doomed, that we are gripped by forces we cannot control. We need not accept that view. Our problems are man-made, therefore they can be solved by man, and man can be as big as he wants. No problem of human destiny is beyond human beings. Man's reason and spirit have often solved the seemingly unsolvable and we believe they can do it again. Surely the opening vistas of space promise high costs and hardships, as well as high reward. So it is not surprising that some would have us stay where we are a little longer, to rest, to wait. But this city of Houston, this state of Texas, this country of the United States was not built by those who waited and rested and wished to look behind them. This country was conquered by those who moved forward, and so will space. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept. The energy the faith, the devotion, which we bring to this endeavor, will light our country and all who serve it. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country.
an old evil that has waited thousands of years to show its face. It has only one intent, to destroy God's light and to enslave. It has no scruples, it has no rules but one, to win at any cost. But we will never bow, for we are the remnant that will hold the line. This is war. We fight. We push. We climb. We never give in. We become the nightmare that evil didn't know exist. We pray. We stand. We live by the words, in God we trust. We fear nothing. We are the light that can never be extinguished. We are patriots. We are the digital army that will help deliver God's wrath.